Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Morning, are you? Yes. Hi. Hi, honey. Hello. Don't you mean? Oh my God, yes. Wait. Don't you mean, all right, governor? <laughs> all right, ladies. We've got a jam-packed episode for you today. I'm going to take you through. I can't believe that. Okay, I'd already forgotten that we were planning on starting the podcast with me speaking in a British accent because someone... um some fucking bitch <laughs> said that I <laughs> said that I speak in a British accent now, and I'm and it it's giving I'm not like the other girls. Um, it actually made me upset. I know we're laughing about it now, but no, when I read it, my heart sank. I actually hadn't checked the reviews in quite a while, so then when you sent me that, I like I had a panic. But it was the only we like we get like one bad one very I feel like opening a can of worms here but we get one like rarely so when we do we get really upset <laughs> no. I don't want to open but the do you know what eggs. happened is I again I think I've said this before I don't have access to figuring out how to fucking get into the thing that tells you the reviews um but randomly for some unknown reason for some ungodly reason they emailed us that one <laughs> and so I like opened our emails to that <laughs> I was like are you fucking joking and are you and then i was like do i sound british i know and then i just like my heart sank and i was like literally gonna yeah. ignore it and not even bring it up to anyone and then i thought you've just got to laugh um and then i thought that i am I'm, I'm like bella hadid in more ways than just copying her style i copy her changing accent wherever I go because every all the Kiwis think I sound Australian because I copy how you speak. I genuinely don't think you – I've noticed you say, like, a couple of words. It's very, like, endearing. You say, like, a couple of words that I know are words you've picked up from a ma in the way that he says them because it, 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 the accent is a ma's accent. 
Like it's his way of right. talking. And I kind of, I wish I could remember one off the top of my head, but it's, it's so uncommon. I, like I would bring it up. It's <laughs> just, people are fucked. Just fuck off. Just leave your full name yeah. so we can find you or just please don't bother. I text you um, and was like, well, now we're going to have to cancel the podcast and then they'll be fucking yes, sorry. M. Bausch or whatever her name is will be sorry. Um, the But, yeah, I'm sure everyone's seen and knows what I'm referencing, but I'm just going to mansplain it to you all anyway that um, Bella Hadid, every time she goes to uh, European countries, is always filmed being like, ah, it was a beautiful show, messy. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but that's what I do. <laughs> I think if I speak in their accent, it, like, helps them understand, which is just, I don't know. Zach's been doing that here. Zach, like, mocks when other people do that. And then at, like, some restaurants, he'll be like, oh, wanna fish. And I'm like, why are you talking like that? Like, you're still (laughs) speaking in English so that one helps them understand it. Hannah said I get, like, um, like an international accent. Yeah. So. In, like, everyone's defense, including yours, like, when we were making fun of Camille Rowe because she sounded crazy in that Vogue video, like, she was putting on a fake accent mm-hmm. but yeah because she because she put on a french accent right she she grew up partly in paris and she is fluent in french and she does speak so she is french but she was saying like oh sorry english is my second language when she like obviously speaks perfect english um yes. it was giving hilaria but then i was like watching <laughs> i was watching i've been watching call my agent and i was watching interviews with the cast and that is just what french people sound like when they're speaking in english and i just think that everyone's just so like white and uncultured and single what's the opposite of bilingual monolingual so they just make fun of people i mean you're monolingual so you got no excuse <laughs> shut up i speak some maori yeah. i can it's, say yeah Kia I can say un cheval mont orange, as everyone found out yesterday. Yes, you are bilingual. I forgot. But, like, <laughs> some people just do – that's how some people, they pick up, you know, things of people around I also them. say oh. I say oh like a British person, um, at, at mocking them. But then now I do it for real. So I go, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to remember. Like, mock, you, I mean, you probably won't say it now, but there was one thing that I was trying to remember what it was. Do, to do gate. Yeah, it's like do do do. I mean, I pick up on, I've picked up on like the way people I know. We all do it. Like you pick up on something someone says. Like I'll notice. I we've done it with each other so many times. Picked up specific weird words that we say and then both say them. And I picked up like now even the inflections or ways of talking. When I watch Real Housewives, I find myself talking like Dorit afterwards. Like it's just a thing that happens. <laughs> Everyone gives Dorit shit for this. Um, as well. but when they said it's. It's giving not like the other girls. That was the real burn. I was like, okay. Are other okay. girls not English? <laughs> I was like, it's giving. I, I was like, that was just so mean because I am like the other girls. <laughs> yes. You're as jarry as everyone else. Yeah. And I just put on our Instagram. I just like chaotically started posting on our grid. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but I no. posted like three things on our Instagram grid in the past week. And one was like. <laughs> Two hours apart, I just, like, lost it. And one of them was this thing saying, I am exactly like the other girls. And it had all of these things of that all the girls did. And then I wrote um, in the caption something like, Paloma's this emoji with the heart hands and something else, Jade. And then this girl said, it's giving not like the other girls. And I was like, well, obviously, fuck you. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's obviously <laughs> fuck you. Just don't listen. Okay. The first thing I woke up to this morning, literally, I need to not open Instagram as my first thing I opened, but it was not skinny, but not fat. And she literally done my like primary source of news, my primary source of celebrity yes. news. She'd put a TMZ style confirmed on like this black Instagram text grid. And it was that none other, which you didn't know until I just yeah. mentioned it to you on off air, then Chloe Kardashian is pregnant again to Tristan Thompson, which by the time this comes out will be old news. But right now my brain is fucking dying. And Grace, she, she, the surrogate, so it's by surrogate. The surrogate was two months pregnant when Chloe found out he was having a baby with that other chick. Wait, but wasn't (laughs) that like forever ago? Wasn't that like six months ago? Yeah, so so I'm pretty sure they've they maybe they just had this. Baby. Oh, so the baby's like been in existence the whole time. Oh, I don't know my, how to figure this out. It feels but like I think, they could have. I, I think what we're yeah. I think what we're finding out right now is that Chloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson have had a second baby. Mm. Wild. Oh, they're expecting expecting a second baby by a surrogate, but the surrogate was two months pregnant when. Chloe found out about this, so she must be due, like, now, basically. I feel like Hulu would be really angry that the Kardashians didn't make that the cliffhanger that the new season landed on because they, like, when Chloe's reacting to it all, she obviously knows that they're having a baby at the same time and they obviously would have, like, not mentioned that on camera so they could release it in their own time. But if they released that on the show and that's where they announced it, the world would have gone bonkers. That's, like, quite an annoying missed opportunity on KJ's I know, part. but I think she's – I think she's – um. I think it's just so personal and raw. Like, I, th- I don't even think she's told – I think this was a TMZ source that leaked this, like the Kardashians didn't. So why? How do they do this all so perfectly? Because it always just feels so authentic and real. But, like, how is that for timing? It's nuts. It is authentic and real. We've all found out that Kim and Pete are real, Grace. We think that it's all made up and it's all Christina, but it's, like, them getting with these naughty men. I know, but, like, how do, how is it that – she they finish the show and everyone's talking about her reaction to the cheating and then it just like comes out soon afterwards that they've been having a bait like it's just amazing that this timing always lines up so immaculately i know do you know one thing that i think isn't authentic is we have to i've given us strict time Mm. frames and i hate myself for it because we have so much to get through this week and i can't wait to talk about love island but i really want to talk about this so i'm going to say it very succinctly which is not my forte what i think is inauthentic is kylie jenner is now re uh i'm getting all flustered is now re like trying to go back into her king kylie era which is what her fans have dubbed that era where basically she literally was the coolest kardashian and she was like all over tumblr and she had the pink hair and she um right when Kylie Cosmetics launched and she was just very cool and she was the most followed Kardashian on Instagram. Mm. And then she just went so downhill. Now she's trying to get back into that. And apparently, plot twist, her and Jordan Woods are friends in like 
inverted commas Mm -hmm. again which i think is gonna be just another marketing tool to try and make kylie cool again because she's obviously just like very jada yes so i don't believe any of this i don't believe she's like friends with jordan woods again i don't believe she is yeah wheeling um, around they've left her in the dark i think chris Chris is like what are you up to like she's the she's the one random one now I f- my last thing I'll say on this topic is that I feel like not skinny but not fat is has had a few of these like exclusive interviews. She had that interview with Chloe on her podcast. She's spoken to Kim on the. She was like one of the few people invited to the Kardashians premiere. She's she had Kim on her podcast. Yeah, right. She's transitioning from a kind of like social media reality tv fan account to a legitimate entertainment journalist so my feeling is that she wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if a this was confirmed by the kardashians or b if she had some sort of tacit permission because i don't think she would want to fuck up that relationship without no yeah yeah she did i mean she did the tmz like apparently thing and then she did a confirmed thing but i've just been like too busy with my own life today to like fully look into it but yeah it's i mean i don't know tristan thompson is like needs to literally i i don't know how many more times this man can like come I kind back of he's like a cat he has like nine like, lives yeah yeah but it's kind of like what do you call it um like post not post feminism but something that Chloe is like, I am going to have a, the perfect nuclear family and I, by God, I will get it. Like she's just going to have yeah. two beautiful children and he can just flit in and out as she wants. But she's like, just cre- she's kind of just willing this reality into fruition for herself, even though it's just insane. I know. And he is like, to give him his parents credit, he is hot. <laughs> 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 I want to give that for that. Okay, on to rapid fire episode, ladies. We have so much juicy stuff to cover. Okay, on to the most requested topic of the week. Grace is like, I'm sure, kicking yourself for not. I I don't want to say I told you so, but I want to say I told you so about Love Island, even though it is like actually. It's not even good. Like, it's not even good. <laughs> I don't think I'm above Love Island in any way. No. I just have not had, like... Started. The gateway moment, and then it always, by the time everyone's talking yeah. about it, it's always too late to catch up. No, you... What I learned when I moved here was, like, you have to... It's basically, like, you have to put in these hard yards with this show, and then it gets good. But it's on every night. Like, it is yeah. literally like you're you're going to school and the school is British culture and you have to watch every single every single night of this show, which is actually really boring for, like, the first three weeks. And you're just like, I don't even know why I watched this. This is so stupid. Nothing happens. And then just suddenly it just all kicks off and you can't, like, breathe without it. I got home last mm-hmm. night so late and just had to watch it with my blind eye closed because I was so tired. <laughs> I love that I feeling, though. Miss it. That's the best feeling. Yeah. And, like, what basically – I mean, okay. I think we can just I think we can just be all over the show. We're going to talk about Love Island and, like, what makes it great, but also this season. 
But what I was thinking about what why I love Love Island personally is it really reminds me of I'm like an OG when I make dinner, I want to sit on the couch like an American family in the Midwest and eat my dinner on my lap and watch TV and watch shitty TV. And it reminds me of mm-hmm. that time when you would just watch, you would turn on the TV and friends would be on or something would be on that you really wanted to watch and you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to go on Netflix. You don't have to like search around for the new show. It's just there. It's every night. And it like is this really lovely routine that makes me feel happy. I just like love that. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the Big Brother days, which I think we were like a little bit too young for, but I think that was why it was such a phenomenon. Yes, I was going to say that reminds me of Big Brother in Australia. I remember I get, we were quite young, but I remember coming home and it being a thing that was on. It's like familiarity. And that oh, I really miss I miss that old-fashioned sense of everyone watching the same thing at the same time, which I think doesn't yes. exist now almost anywhere else. Like even if everyone's watching the same show on Netflix, you're – you're responding to it over the same month or over the same three weeks because everyone's watching it on their own timelines. Whereas this thing where it's literally happening in real time, it's showed at the same time every night, everyone is watching it and like responding to it together collectively. And like how the finales are shown at pubs all over the UK. I just think that's a really mm. nice thing that doesn't exist yeah. anymore in a like insane way. Yeah. It's such an odd, like, cultural phenomenon in the way that I know there's now Love Island Australia and stuff but it will just never ever be like what it is when you watch it here in the UK it's like quite crazy and it feels like we're in the middle of some thing that will be studied because there are so many different elements of this show the funniest part about it is it's quite boring but there are so many elements about it that like make it incredible so the other thing that I kind of hadn't thought about and then we both listened to Pandora Sykes podcast with this other journalist, um, Shirin Kale. Um, it's called Unreal, A Critical History of Reality TV. And the final two episodes on Love Island, I actually listened to the other one on Selling Sunset and The Real Housewives, Same. which is so interesting. <laughs> um, but they are analyzing it and they say like the other thing that makes it so, so um addictive is that we have a we as the viewer have a say in the show and I'm I always end up watching it on like on demand so you miss out but it is so instant where you watch an episode and then you vote on your favorite couples through the app or through the website and then those are the couples the couples who get the fewest votes are the ones who are dumped from the island it's so So like like, retro it's amazing like do people actually actively vote for it Yes. Like Australian Idol. I downloaded the app last year and was like voting like a madman. <laughs> Everyone votes. My friend who's living with me at the moment was like, oh, I text in because I like didn't have the app and voted for blah, blah. I was like, everyone just. It's, but And also like the time that, frame that you can vote from is very instant. So it's kind of like really makes you want to watch it in real time. Because by the time I watched it last night, I watched it like half an hour late and the voting had already shut. Mm-hmm. It shuts like within the hour because the show's. And the show is happening in real time, which I didn't realize either for a while. So they're literally in the villa right now, living out today, and we're going to be watching their today tonight. Yeah, it's very strange. It's especially in the era <laughs> it's of fucking like weird. where reality TV now is so manufactured with like Kardashians, Selling Sunset, Housewives, all of that stuff. It feels yeah very like quaint and old school. I want to talk to you about why. 
it, it feels especially like it's everywhere right now because I, as far as I understand the last, maybe there was a gap because of COVID and then there was a lot of discussions because, which we'll get into, there had been two deaths by suicide of contestants. Caroline Flack had tragically um, died by suicide as well. And I feel like there was a lot of discussion about whether or not they were going to bring Love Island back at all. People found like, the body image really old-fashioned. They found the – we're going to talk about all these things. The fast fashion thing really old-fashioned. There was, like, a big question about whether it was even going to exist anymore. And then I feel like the last season wasn't very popular. So I'm interested as, like, to why it feels like it's everywhere now. Like, what's now the stuff that's yeah, happening? Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the first season coming back after Caroline Flack had died was just – it was very – I don't know. I guess obviously it's fucking weird because she was the host of the show and then suddenly she's been replaced. Mm. And I think they also, it was the first one after like Black Lives Matter and just so many kind of social justice issues. And I think they were so scared of bringing it back. But at the same time, it's obviously like the most popular show, such an insane moneymaker uh, so many contestants wanting to go on it, so much support behind it that they brought it back, but they did it in like a bit of a watered down way maybe. And then this season it's like kind of got its, it's got its zhuzh back, but I think at the same time it's kind of found that balance because it's very, and what I find interesting about Love Island is like obviously the Love Island kind of, contestant to influencer pipeline is fucking mental so you leave the show and you're gonna have very likely millions and millions of followers and brand deals and you can make millions of dollars like there are so many people who are now millionaires who Mm -hmm. are like 22 because they went on love island but what i find interesting is how they still manage to find they the way they cast the show whatever they still manage to find really down to earth uh, people that you want to connect with and that you um, I think that was maybe missing a bit from last year like I don't I don't know the casting was a bit off and then this year it feels again like you just look at these kids and you just want the best for them <laughs> even though they're such idiots a lot of the time um, but they when they brought it back it was like they said on this unreal podcast um, the one of the biggest mental, wellness packages on reality tv currently like they have access to a therapist 24 hours uh who's with them in the villa they um have free therapy for a year afterwards um and we've actually seen two contestants this season leave because of their mental health Mm. which you don't really you see it i actually don't know the stats because i haven't seen every season but you have seen contestants leave in the past but i think it hasn't been so obviously them leaving because their mental health is suffering, them leaving because they're not feeling like themselves. And I think this therapist is obviously really helping in that decision. Um, and at the same time, it's just been, like, fucking funny. So what is this this tit thing? <laughs> I saw, I went on TikTok and I my algorithm is not, like, catered to Love Island in any way. And I think it came up probably 18 videos in a row with some variation on this. titty sucking scandal (laughs) and I still don't understand okay so Casa Amor which we literally 
named yes. a AWD episode in tribute of when I first discovered Love Island and lost the fucking plot is, I'll explain again very briefly. So Love Island, you have girls, you have guys, they couple up. They're all in kind of relationships, but they're technically single. And it's a, always a huge moment if a guy asks a girl to be, because they're quite young, their girlfriend, because that means they're actually exclusive. But until that point, it's kind of fair game, although people will couple up. Because you could feasibly, because you want to stay in the game, couple up with someone that you haven't even kissed, but you're like maybe vibing with a bit or whatever. Like not every coupled up couple is a couple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you they try to be but at the same time they can get broken up by other people who are like interested in one person Mm. from the couple and then new people come in new people are like dropped in halfway through that always gets everyone excited and then they kind of pick who they want to go on dates with but the biggest bombshell of every season is Casa Amor which is when the girls and the guys get separated from their couples and a lot of them are like quite serious they've been together since the start they get separated they're in different villas for three nights with a whole bunch of new people of the opposite sex. So like the guys are in a different villa and six hot girls come in and the girls are in a different villa and six hot guys come in. And obviously men being men and women being women, Mm. it is like always the men that completely fuck up (laughs) and go absolutely wild. And like these guys are young and they're in this group that just egg each other on in this You just watch them and you're like, no, 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 like, way. (laughs) And then this year with with Titgate, basically, Andrew is this little softie who was obsessed with this hot girl called Tasha from day one. And Tasha's, I don't really like her. I don't think I don't think many people like her that much, which is great because she is like this hot blonde bombshell that in that in previous years people probably would have just voted for for that fact but Mm -hmm. now she's just like pissing everyone off she kind of was just like with him i think because there was no one better and every time a new guy walks in she entertains it whereas andrew like would kill people for her Mm. he's so obsessed with her and then they went to casa amor and all of the hot new girls came in and told Andrew that Tasha basically isn't interested in him. Because they'd they, seen the show. Everyone outside. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone knew who's coming in oh, and has right. seen the entire show thus far. So so anyone who's coming in knows all of the shit that the contestants don't know because they see like when Tasha's talking to the girls, when Tasha's doing a confessional. And so they all came in and were like, Tasha's like stringing you along. She doesn't like you. And then Andrew was like, Oh, have I got mug written across my head? And um Jare. So then he starts hooking up with this girl called Coco because he's upset. And they were just hot and heavy, hot and heavy, uh, unbeknownst to us until Coco told everyone he sucked her tit. Oh, so that wasn't filmed. So they're not filming 24 hours. No, they like are, but they don't show that. They don't show. So they usually pull the covers over their head if they're in Uh. bed. So you can't can't see tit sucking. Mm -hmm. But then... Anyway, he goes back to the villa. He tries to get back with Tasha and just tells her he had a few kisses with Coco. And then Coco arcs up because she's fucked off and then told everyone that he sucked her tit. And so he had to go and admit it to Tasha. And that was that iconic piece of television history where he walked, where he sat down with Tasha and said, I sucked her tit or whatever. And, and then he she said goes, it, you what? I, I, I like saw someone say he's like <laughs> trying to say it so fast that she like won't 
understand. <laughs> He's like, I should yeah. do it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have to play it here. I didn't really think there was much more to it, but yeah, uh, basically she's told the guys that I like sucked her tits or whatever. How about? Like licked her tit or whatever. And before it comes out of anyone else, I want to tell you. Okay, so yeah, I can see why this would be a very important piece of TV footage. Did she flip out and they've broken up now? And is he sad? Uh, they're basically back on. Mm, girls, <laughs> of course. I she know. would like him more now. Um, and Well, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I think he's just showing he's not such a pushover. What is it? Simp. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then there's like Ikinsu, who I think you, t- you like text me about who you've been seeing everywhere. And she's just this like iconic Turkish woman who came into the villa and I hope her and Davide, who's this Italian stallion will win because they are so fiery and crazy. And, um, it's been really cute because basically she came in and they paired up straight away. He's like very hot, very not our type, but very hot. And they paired up immediately, but then he kind of wasn't that into her and she hooked up with someone else. And then there was this kind of back and forth, but in the time when she was with this other guy that obviously become very good friends and like got to know each other and became jokey and funny and, and had a relationship, had this friendship that then built into them wanting to be together again. Mm. It was really cute. And like, you can tell she's like absolutely obsessed with him. And I think if she doesn't fuck it up, they could probably win. Cause they're like, it's, it's just this very cute love story where you can see that they, they like now at the start, it was like purely based on hotness. So they were both kind of like, I don't know. And then they split up and then realized that each other were like really funny and fun and cute and got, and just, yeah. Nice. But she's also mental and she fully hooked up with someone in Casa Amora and is like lying about it. And we've seen it on the TV <laughs> and she's told no one. She keeps, she thinks that the TV hasn't played it. Right. So she's literally like lied to everyone. And I'm like, fuck it. Hell. <laughs> it can sue. It can sue. Okay. So that's a good sense of why this season is amazing. I want to talk a bit more because I'm so fascinated from listening to those podcast episodes and just reading about the show about, I didn't really understand. The biggest thing I didn't understand is like how closely aligned the rise of fast fashion is with the rise of Love Island. I knew that so interesting. both existed and like had a relationship with each other, but it really seems as if Love Island almost created more so than the Kardashians, like the beast of fast fashion. And the whole background of it is basically that when Love Island started to gain popularity. So it was first launched in 2005, did not get a good following, and then was rebooted like 10 years later in 2015, right? And then everyone started to get obsessed with it. The contestants were just kind of normal people that would go on, not necessarily for fame because it wasn't the phenomenon it is now. And the producers basically realized because they were filming every single day that the Girls especially hadn't bought enough clothes to last, to have a difference on something different every single day. And it was confusing audiences. If they looked exactly the same in the same outfit they'd worn like two weeks before, like the footage was confusing. And so they started giving the contestants ASOS budgets every couple of weeks or every week to buy new stuff. And then people, because it was in real time, 
started seeing the outfits, realizing they were on ASOS Live and buying them. And that kind of spiraled into this thing of then fast fashion brands wanted to be dressing the contestants. The contestants would leave and be offered these huge deals by fast fashion brands. And now it's turned into like this huge sponsorship thing um, where I was so shocked by this. So Molly Mae Haig, who is, from what I understand, was not like, that hugely popular on Love Island, but has just spiraled being on the show into this massive, massive career. She came off the TV show in 2019, was offered six, six figure deals from six different, <laughs> six, 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 from six different retailers, like Boohoo, Pretty Little Thing, misguided. Mm-hmm. Misguided, yeah. She said to Pretty Little Thing, instead of just taking the money and doing some Instagram posts, I want to work with you long term. And they eventually made her creative director of Pretty Little Thing. So she oversees all of the collections, quote unquote. (laughs) Apparently. And they I had to go back and listen to this like three times in a row. Um, that they think that she gets paid four hundred thousand pounds a month. Now, yeah, like I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? That's fucking crazy. That is for it context. Eight hundred thousand Australian dollars a month. Two hundred thousand Australian dollars a week. That is more than like ninety-five percent of CEOs in Australia. Mm. It's insane. She's she's yeah. It's insane. And it's it's funny because when I was listening to them say that. I was thinking about how, like, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, or last week we talked about Kate Moss coming on as Diet Coke's thing and Kim Kardashian coming on, all of these celebrities coming on as creative director and actually being part of the company. And I was like, oh, my God, Molly May is, like, the pioneer of this because she knew it would be so much more beneficial to her and to Pretty Little Thing for her to actually work with the brand. And this idea of needing to wear something different every time you go out it's not like love island created that but because the whole format of the show is they kind of got like what did they say on love island every night is friday night or whatever like every night they're having a party every night they're dressing up they're spending three hours doing glam getting ready they want to look the best they can possibly look every single night because it's for tv but it's created this environment where young people watching it want that for themselves when they go out so that's why they want disposable two or three pound items of clothing because they literally only want to wear them once and that's what's creating this waste problem. Yeah, so they said one in two consumers now consider an outfit worn more than twice as old. And in 2018, Mm. I remember this happening, uh, Misguided released a one pound bikini and obviously it like went all over the news because everyone was just like, climate change, Mm -hmm. but it immediately sold out. Like it's it's... This crazy economy. So yeah, the the thing with the Love Island thing is it's like it feels, as you say, retro again, because it's like, you know, when you used to watch TV ads and you would see them selling like a vacuum cleaner or whatever, mm-hmm. and you see these girls walking around in like 4D wearing these outfits instead of just watching seeing it on a model on a website, and immediately you're like, Oh, that's a really cute dress. What's interesting about this season that I didn't even realize. Um, is this is the first season they've ever partnered with eBay. So they've made a partnership mm. with eBay to try and um, promote sustainability. And before I realized that, I was looking at them thinking they look better than ever in my 
my opinion for like what I like to wear. Um, obviously they probably still have like a thousand fast fashion partnerships at the same time, but the girls definitely look different. They're wearing like jeans and tops and I don't know. It's obviously like the fashion is changing, but yeah. It's interesting because um, what's her name? Megan Barton. Uh, I can't remember. That that really famous one that was on there because she had surgery to look like Margot Robbie. She was saying in that inter- in an interview that she finds the fast fashion thing difficult, which I think is really valid because she said, you know, I'm very conscious of the sustainability side of things. But on the other hand, the audience of the show is teenagers or people in their very early 20s. Many of them are like working class, working retail jobs or like hospitality jobs where they're paid minimum wage and they relate to us. And if we all came on and were wearing really expensive designer stuff, that would be really um, alienating and that wouldn't work either. So like finding that balance between being authentic and real about what these contestants who aren't rich before they go on the show can afford to wear and also not promoting this like crazy fucked up rapid consumption thing is it is it's like that old fast fashion question about fast fashion and class and Mm. money and blah 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 yeah it's insanely interesting i feel like you can just analyze that show in so many different ways because the way it kind of pivoted with the influencer economy as well is super interesting like they used to just get on random people and now it's obviously people are going on the show specifically to find fame but if you find a boyfriend it's also that's a bonus so molly may has said people have asked her like a bazillion times like did you go on love island for love and she was just like well no but she's still with the guy that she met on Love Island. Yeah, that's very cute and nice. She seems to have, like, won the Love Island war. Like, didn't win the battle but won the war. <laughs> yeah, there's one more thing I will say is, like, that I found – I mean, it's obvious It's obvious in, when you think about it, but it's kind of that thing where, you know, when we're talking about op- optimism bias and everyone thinks that the the bad thing isn't going to happen to them – Everyone who goes on Love Island assumes they're going to kind of come off it with heaps of followers and heaps of this and heaps of that, and it's going to change their life now um, in in a way that it has for, like, Molly Mae and so many other influencers. But it can just have the opposite effect completely. You can come off and no one can give a shit who you are. Um, They were talking about Love Island's, like, first black bombshell, which was this girl called Rachel Finney a couple of years ago and I looked on her Instagram she only has a hundred thousand followers and then there was they had on this guy called Jake who was on last year's Love Island and he was portrayed as a villain and he was just saying like the way they cut my sentences together was crazy um I came off and was getting so many death threats and so much hate and you know has gotten absolutely no career opportunities out of it so it's like it's just an interesting one and yeah, there's obviously the mental health and bullying elements of it. Like uh, the the Islander who left two nights ago, Jax, who made me cry when he left because I'm a fucking pea brain loser. Um, he, I went on Twitter straight after to see what people were saying and they were completely annihilating him. And I was like, he literally left because of his mental health. And then people were sharing photos of Sophie and Mike and Carolyn. And I was like, God, 
the internet. Oh, God, it's so fucked. I think the thing with reality TV, which I think this podcast that Pandora Sykes and Shirin Kale did is amazing for highlighting, is that, like, the reason we tune in is because we kind of want to see winners and losers and we want to see villains and we want to see people who are jarre and full on their face. And we like, it's this horrible thing of human nature watching this stuff where we do. Not everyone can rise to the top. Not everyone can be the fan favorite. Not everyone can be the couple that people fall in love with. And the thing that comes with that is people go on and are just um, forced to deal with all this like public opinion with, it doesn't even matter if you have a council that you have access to. Like there's just no way to go from being a normal person to having millions of people scrutinize your every mood move and your personality and mock you or mock your appearance or mock whatever and then deal with it like it's just so like there are many ways in which the format is just fucked yeah (laughs) but it seems like they're trying their best to like address it does seem like they're trying their best to address i mean someone mocked my one person mocked my faux british accent and i'm ready to riot that's what I mean. It's fucked. I can't even imagine what it would be like. It would be horrible. Okay. On to Hot Girl Books. Our favorite topic. Yes. A very AWD topic. Um, ID did an article about something that's been tr- been happening for a while, but no one had kind of talked about. And, and that's just books becoming the symbol of hotness and coolness and showing the books you're reading as, you know, a symbol of intelligence or understanding what's happening with the culture. Um, obviously, book talk has taken off on TikTok. Uh, Instagram and Goodreads now are full of hot girl book lists. Um, and, and like Bella Hadid and Gigi Hadid and all these models have been papped for years backstage reading. Last summer, I think it was, Kendall Jenner's books kept becoming articles. People kept like pulling up what she was reading on her fucking super yacht. And writing articles about it, Kaya mm. Gerber started her book club. Yes. Emrata writing book. Yes, Emrata wrote one. <laughs> I saw a thing talking about how, like, oh, yeah, this is it. Elsewhere, like, this piece, like, rounded up all the ways that, like, fashion and literature have been crossing over lately. And it says, Valentino enlisted 17 renowned authors, including Andre Ackerman, who wrote Call Me By Your Name, Leila Slavani, who we've talked about, who's like a really celebrated French author, and Emily Ratajkowski. And I was like, please, a renowned author? Like, we're just still so, so jade. fast to throw that term out. But there has been this like huge crossover with fashion and books in the last, especially like year or so so atessa moshfeg who is like everyone's favorite she's like the anti-sally rooney i feel yeah but i (laughs) cool sally rooney i feel like we've just been completely (laughs) sleeping on her like i just had no yeah we have idea i literally thought that book was something i just would not be interested in and so many of the girlies are saying it is and obviously now i love her because of she's the brad pitt interview girl right i'm not getting like completely confused yeah 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 I had no idea she walked at Mariam Nazir Zadir's show at New York Fashion Week. Yes, and she wrote the show notes for Proenza Schoolers. She's – that's fucking chic. Love her. <laughs> Sally Rooney could never. I know. My friend actually came to Greece, my friend um, from Toronto, who I really trust recommendation-wise, 
came to Greece and said she was reading it, but she couldn't, she, she didn't say bad things. And like for her to even be reading it is like a good sign that it's not cheeky. But um, she was just like, I couldn't really get into it. And then I lost okay. it. I was like, well, but I'm going to, I'm going to get it from the bookshop. Yeah. Let's do a review. And then Kim Jones, who's just started at Fendi, did like his first big show was all like Bloomsbury, Virginia Woolf, literary stuff. Yeah, so now books are hot. And it's it's funny though, because it's like that thing that we literally just talked about yesterday about how I, I was such a book nerd when I was young and then books became uncool and now they're trending and it's lovely to see. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's I think we maybe talked about this a while ago when we were making fun of Kaya Gerber's covid reading list which was like here's a couple of books i've read in the past 10 days and it was like the collected works of aristotle (laughs) (laughs) it's like so fake but yeah i think it's everyone online now is obsessed with everyone online now is so concerned about looking so obsessed with their appearances because i guess like all of these social media platforms are optimized for being hot and stylish and like all these two-dimensional things that I think people are now trying to show they have like more substance online and it's a difficult one because it's on one hand it's a great thing because yeah anything that encourages people to read more and talk about what they're reading and have these like kind of interesting discussions that are about things that have nothing to do with how you look are great but then it just becomes like another form of social performance and another like metric against which everyone's (laughs) measuring themselves and like feeling shit about themselves because everyone's making it look like they're reading war and peace when they're on holiday instead of binging real housewives or whatever it just becomes like another form of faking your life on online yes so this in this ID piece, they said Kendall Jenner was captured reclining in the sun reading cult contemporary classics like Darcy Wilder's literally show me a healthy person in an article titled how did Kendall Jenner get a copy of my book (laughs) Wilder summarizes that it was probably Jenner's modeling agent Ashley Gonzalez who compiled the supermodels curated reading list thus the concept of the elusive celebrity book stylist was born it was revealed that some high profile figures hire someone to choose what books they read or carry with them in public that is fucked that is so insane and terrifying hire someone are you fucking serious it's like you did not eat that you did not read that (laughs) and well who was it that who was it that it went um viral that they before their architectural digest ashley oh um, yeah they they hired someone to fill it with books for the photos yeah ashley tisdale Before Architectural Digest filmed a tour of her home, she admitted she sent her husband out to buy 400 books just to fill up the shelves before the interview. She was criticized for using books just for decorative purposes. But while the idea of books as accessories might be offensive to some, to others it can make reading more glamorous and exciting. I mean, it's funny she admitted to that. I like her for that. Yeah. That it, yeah. Oh, it's crazy times that we live in. A book stylist. Okay, very quickly, because we need to wrap up. What are your hot girl books for the summer? Yes, yeah, so we wanted to give you girlies a list of things, recommendations, either to, either things that we're reading or recommend to read for you to add to your reading list. So I am having the best summer holiday ever because I'm actually 
seriously reading books. I packed 10 books, so I have some good ones to suggest. I've kind of just whittled down my most recommended for a summer holiday. I don't know what your methodology was, Izzy. So I've just read Bluets by Maggie Nelson. And Maggie Nelson is just a writer who I really love. I think this is one of – I've read her books, The Red Parts and Argonauts and I can't remember what the other one's called, but she's just like an amazing, incredible, like modern writer. And she writes – this book is kind of like quite – it's basically – it sounds weird, but it's about her love affair with the color blue and it turns into this story about this great love affair that she had – and she brings in all this stuff about blue as a color and the history of it and the way artists and poets and people related to it. But it's just such a great book and such an easy, short kind of read and just anything by her. I think I've recommended The Argonauts before, but um, that's amazing if anyone hasn't read it. Then I listened to the audiobook of Mike Nichols, a life. It's the biography of Mike Nichols, who's this amazing filmmaker who I love. He directed The Graduate and Working Girl and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and just a bunch of great movies. And this is just a really long, detailed biography of him. He died a couple of years ago. Um, and it's just full of like great Hollywood, kind of golden age Hollywood celebrity goss and stuff about the filmmaking process and working with all these like actors like um, Dustin Hoffman and Jack Nicholson and um, Whoopi Goldberg and Natalie Portman and all these people when they – Meryl Streep when they were really young up-and-coming actors and it's just really fascinating. I think anything by David Sedaris, I've been reading um, – I can't remember what it's called – his most recent – book while I'm away but just any of his books of essays like me talk pretty one day and um let's explore diabetes with owls um are just so funny and just like great kind of books of short story books of essays that are just hilarious and smart and like very heartfelt I love him and then this is just a favorite book of mine that I reread because it's just like such a great story. Um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Berendt is like a nonfiction. It's like a long, it's like investigative journalism, but it's about this guy who goes to this like quite bizarre eccentric town in the deep south of America that's almost stuck in like the 1800s and he meets all these amazing eclectic characters like this cool drag queen and this weird like witch doctor and this really eccentric bizarre man who's accused of killing his young male like toy boy um and it's just an amazing like can't put down read and it's one of my favorite books and then the last one I have is What Artists Wear by Charlie Porter I actually interviewed him when this book came out a year ago it basically just goes through the history of a bunch of iconic artists and what they would wear to create art and how the history of like fashion and art are interconnected. And it's just a really interesting, 
great read that I found really fascinating and find myself thinking about a lot. And I feel like it's a great summer one as well because it's just full of really chic pictures of Picasso and people being fabulous on holiday in France. And those are my five. <laughs> Love. I thought we were doing three, so I didn't I didn't get out five. But um, as we've already talked about on the pod, which is like very boring, but it's literally all I've read this year, but it is a great summer book read is these Elena Ferrante books. And it's like a similar thing where um, I'm on book four now of her Neapolitan quartet. Um, so it's the final one. And the third one was just making me stop and think so much about the world around me. And just, it's, it's just, it's, so easy to read, so smart, so well written and makes you think. And I just love everything about that. And at the same time, um, she's somehow managed to make it be this like phenomenon while, it, while it's not um, light and easy and, you know, like the usual kind of ones that go viral. So there's that. I'm on the final one of that. They, I, I can't even remember what else I've read this year. Um other than when we're at Cayman Islands, I read the new, I thought it was really new, but it came out in 2017, this Patty Smith book about um, writing and it's called, Devo- I'm pretty sure it's the one called Devotion. I just Googled it because I was like, I can't remember what it's called, but in it, she talks a lot at the start about her writing process and then it goes into um, this really gorgeous story. And that's another great, similar vibe read where it's like easy to get through, but um, smart and clever and I'm reading at the moment what I loved by I don't know how to say this author's name Siri Hustvit, which was a recommendation I got off that Haley Girls newsletter she asked for book recs and a lot of people were recommending this author who I'd never heard of um, I actually got you to buy this one for my for me for my birthday and it's really good and I I thought it was a woman author when I bought the books and then in this book the protagonist is a man. So then I was like, oh, I'm into this less. And then for this, I Googled it and the author is a woman, but she's writing as a man in this book, which threw me. So now I'm going to get back into it more because I was like, I don't want to read this as much anymore. Um, But it's really, it's just, yeah, it's really well written. And it's about this uh, artist in New York and the dynamics of these relationships and I just Googled it and the Guardian said, at long last, an intellectual page turner. It came out in like 2002, I think. Um, but apparently all of this woman's books are really, really good. And this was just the one that I started on. I just was going to say, when I bought that book for you for your birthday, the woman at the bookshop was like got freaking out and going on and on. She, I can't remember what she was telling me, but she was like, ah! And I, I was like, didn't have any context for yeah. it. So I was like, okay, this is my friend. Yeah. This. But yeah, she went was obsessed with that book and that writer. Yeah, someone I, I've i heard since someone else has recommended her again and they recommended starting with a different one. She's written a bunch and so I'm really excited to read more of hers. And then um, this isn't new or trendy, but since living in Northwest, I've just been like wanting to read. I, th- I think Zadie Smith was a, a writer who I really love and I have read a few of her books. I've read... Um, White Teeth and NW and I've read her collection of essays that came out a few years ago. I haven't read the newest one, um, but I'd never read Swing Time 
And I think that's like her last book of fiction, if I'm correct. And then the last three books have all been essays. Um, so I bought that the other day and I started reading it in the park that we saw her in. <laughs> Just being really meta. And then um, I went on BookTok just before for you girlies and the books that I saw a lot were The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it reminded me as well on BookTok that a book that I've been gagging to read is that new Meg Mason book called Sorrow and Bliss. Mm. I've heard so many good things about it. And I've also heard people saying that don't get put off by the cover because the book is actually incredible. And I think that would be such a good summer read because I can imagine it's mm. it's great. Um, but yeah, that's it. And then also I have this book called Social Intelligence that I've been like flicking back and forth from while my ADHD brain... I currently have three different books I'm reading, like a freak. That's a good way to do it. Um, which is good. And then my friend recommended um, one called Attachment, about attachment styles. Nice. Lots for you to work with, girlies. Let us know if you read anything and if you like it. Um, can you send me those books and I'll put them in the bio so everyone can actually find them. Oh, yes, I will. I, I just screenshot them off my Goodreads. Actually, I don't know if you still use your Goodreads, but I still use mine because it's where I have, like, my want-to-read list of, like, 500 books. So um, there's also a bunch in there if people want to look at it, look me up. We set up an AWD one once upon a time ago. I know. There's probably one in there with, like, eight books, <laughs> the Tina Brown Diaries and, like, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> a very high-low episode. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, okay. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.